Hey guys, I'm going to tell you something a little personal. I got my labs done by a company called Blokes and found out that maybe they could help me. In order to keep grinding hard, I figured it was time for a check under the hood. Blokes helped me do that. They sent someone to my home for a blood draw. Never seen that many vials. I had a consultation with a clinician to go over the results, and they sent me a 40-page functional report. We went through stress markers, hormone markers, did a full thyroid workup, looked at heart health, and a lot more. We came up with a plan personalized to me based on my biomarkers and my goals. They sent me supplements and therapies to my door. Blokes looks at health differently than any doctor I've ever been to before. It's a proactive approach. It's in-depth. I think they are disrupting the sick care system, and I'm happy to support companies like them. Blokes is doing all they can to keep me hammering day after day. They're offering you 20% off labs if you use code CAM at checkout blokes.co slash cam. That's blokes.co slash cam for 20% off your labs. Mountain Ops is my longtime supplement sponsor, and I love everything the company is about. I have my own Keep Hammering line of supplements with Mountain Ops, and I might be biased, but it's the best tasting flavors out there. I drink the protein powder every day, drink the pre-workout before every lift, and take the BCAs for recovery. They also have a ton of other supplements, so if you're looking for something that is going to up your game in the new year, Mountain Ops is where it's at. We even have some cool events in the works for 2024, so stay tuned to both our social medias because you're not going to want to miss them. Head to mountainops.com and use code CAM, C-A-M, at checkout for 20% off your entire purchase. Every step I take, I move my truth. Every time they tell me stop, I use. Every comment, hate that makes my feel. Gather up my energy and boom. I hear them talking, saying the way that I move is so reckless. That is a part of my mind I've been blessed with. Giving my blood so I am relentless. All right. Welcome to the Keep Hammering Collective. This is Cameron Haynes, and we're going to do a solo podcast today. Today's topics, this is a little note for Macy. She does my reel. She's a creative and reel goddess. So Macy, here's the topics. Let's make a cool reel regarding Ben Blankenship, my prison visit, mentioning Jelly Roll. Jelly Roll was kind of, I talked to him about... Um, kind of my strategy for going and talking to the guys, the inmates yesterday up at the Oregon State Penitentiary. And then lastly, we're going to have a Roy Roth story time. So those are the topics of today. We'll start off with Ben Blankenship. Uh, ben is a runner here in Eugene. He's an Olympian. He's a world record holder. And I've been running, you know, people have following along. I don't know if you guys follow me on social media. The guys that listen to the podcast, I would assume so. I've been running Spencer's Butte because Pisca's closed down and trying to get my best time and trying to, you know, whatever, just get faster and push harder. So yesterday I was over there with my wife, not really going for a PR, uh, just kind of getting a workout in. We're coming down and here comes Ben Blankenship up the trail. So I stopped and talked to him and I said, uh, I said, hey, so what's your, how fast can you get up this? Because I wanted to just see how I can compare. I mean, I told my wife, I said, anytime I think that I'm running well um, and feeling pretty good about myself, and then I run with somebody like Ben, I instantly think I have no business even calling myself a runner. So point is, I asked Ben, I said, so what's your time up? Where'd you start this and that? And he's like, I said, did you park down here at the lower parking lot? He's like, well, that's not the lower parking lot. He goes, it doesn't, it doesn't count running the hill unless you start from the valley floor. So <laughs> I'm up probably about halfway off the valley floor to start my climb up to the top of Spencer's Butte. And uh, he, of course, is one-upping me and 
probably running much faster also, or again, guaranteed running much faster. Um, he's getting ready for his first hundred miler. And he had done, I think three summits of Spencer's and one of Baldy, which is another neighboring peak all from the Valley floor. So who knows how many miles he got in, but probably 20 or 30 with, you know, three Spencer summits would be from the Valley floor would be about, I don't know, 4,500 feet of gain. Plus the other one, probably 5,000 foot of gain yesterday for him. So, Props to Ben Blankenship. I know he's going to crush his first 100-miler. I think he told me it was 40-some days or 30-some days out or maybe 50-some days. We were both counting on doing the spike camp. Uh, my brother was doing a run on Pisgah on the 28th, but the storm here that we've had sabotaged that, and it was going to be as many summits as you could do in 12 hours. So Ben was going to do that. I planned on doing it for a big, big push tune-up into racing season. Um, but yeah, so follow Ben Blankenship. He's a badass. He can fricking run. He's, I, I, I think he's qualified for the Olympic trials, maybe three different times. And I know he made, he went to Rio, but world record holder in, the in the relay, he ran the last leg, I think of the 1600 meter relay. So just a stud under four minute miler. Um, yeah. So we're going to get together and run, Ben. I, already, I got a side ache already in anticipation, so that's that's good. And then next, I uh, as I mentioned, I wouldn't talk to the inmates yesterday at the at Oregon State Penitentiary with Wayne Endicott. This trip was set up by uh, it's called A Gap Families, and what that is is it's a group that helps the children of incarcerated parents. So. These kids, their mother and dad, or maybe both are in prison. And so the kids are, you know, left to fend for themselves, essentially. Other, I mean, I'm sure there's family stepping in or maybe foster parents, but uh, without their mom and dad, it's, you know, that's a challenge. It's, it's a challenge being a kid just in general. But if you don't have your, your mom and dad at home, even harder. So this group focuses on helping those kids they set up this trip uh, elijah wheeler was the contact i made i saw him over here at gates family tradition meets when i was dropping off a, a kill that i had i was going to get it processed and he was there too <clears throat> and so he asked if i'd ever be interested in talking to the inmates and yeah i mean i'm 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 always wanting i mean to me it's a huge opportunity to be able to go and hopefully positively influence others regardless of where that is whether that's at the bow rack or that's at a a sports show or a or a race or on the mountain just on an impromptu training run or in a prison i'm trying to make a positive difference and so that was my goal i talked to jelly roll about it because you know he was in prison himself and he's made such an incredible transformation back into society which is difficult for inmates. And Jelly Rolls has went from being, and he'll say in his own words, very selfish, you know, a drug dealer, um, served his time, missed, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of life while he was in there, but he got out. Now he's, I think, 38 years old and nominated for a Grammy. So we can learn a lot from somebody like Jelly Roll. And I asked him, you know, uh, we were back, 
listening to him play at the Opry and I said, I had this trip coming up and I said, do you have any advice? And he says, yeah, just go in there and shoot it to him straight. Just be honest and just be yourself. And, um, yeah, just give him some stories. And so that's what I did. I went in there and I mentioned Joey Roll to the guys. Of course, everybody loves Joey Roll and they know his story. And, you know, specifically his song, Save Me was, um, was a song a number of the inmates mentioned yesterday. But I went in there and spoke to those guys and, you know, I can't judge their past behavior or actions. I don't know. I got some backstory after the fact, but face to face, these guys seemed great. Of course, I don't know. Everybody has demons. Everybody makes mistakes. And when I look at some of those guys, it's one mistake. It's one mistake one bad break and I can't look down on men like that because I've been probably in similar situations of, of some of those guys and I got lucky and I can think of, you know, I drove drunk a number of times. I totaled, I totaled at least one truck and should have probably been seriously injured in that one, rolled over speeding hit a bank, it was, you know, should have been a, um, I mean, it could have easily been a tragic accident. So, but it's self-induced. I got lucky it was just me, but if I would have drifted, cause I, I do, you know, you look at the tire marks, I drifted into the other lane, overcorrected into the bank, slammed, rolled, this whole thing. If another car would have been coming in the other, from the other direction and I would have hit them and who knows, family, a person by themselves, whatever. I could have easily killed somebody because I was impaired and I was driving. If I would have, if that would have been my bad break, I could easily be serving time or have served time. This was, you know, a number of years ago. But could you imagine somebody getting hurt or killed because of, of me driving drunk? So I can't, and maybe some of those guys, that's why they're there. I, I don't know. But all I know is like, I've been lucky in life and I haven't been perfect. When you're not perfect and you're not living a healthy lifestyle, you make a mistake, that's how you pay. That's how our society is set up to make people who make errors like that pay. And so when I talk to these guys, man, I know they're clean and sober now because they're serving time. And the guys in this group, um, I, I will say uh, Wayne Endicott was also speaking too, and he was, he's incredible. His testimony, he was pretty much born to preach. It wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, a, a gospel type group of people, but I'm sure, you know, a lot of them are Christians, read the Bible, find strength in faith. So I know Wayne's words resonated, his testimony resonated, and he's very good at it. He could easily be a preacher, it seems like to me. He's like just so confident in his faith and and what he's saying. So I was greatly inspired by Wayne. I was, uh, I'm, not, I'm not that good like that. I mean, I can tell stories. So I would just, I got up there, I listened to Wayne. I was, you know, I was moved by his testimony as were a number of the inmates. Um, but me, I'm, I don't know. It's just like writing. I'm not, you know, Wayne is so, uh, serious and so tactical and, and just precise in what he says. And 
I'm more of like storyteller. I'd like when I write, I like adventure. And so I would just get up there and I would just tell stories to the guys and just say, you know, my message was, um, you know, there's different times where we can influence others. Those guys are in, are in a position now where maybe they can't have a positive influence on the world, right? Maybe they can't necessarily even impact their family, but they can positively impact the guy sitting next to them or their cellmate or the people they spend time with maybe training because some of these guys train and they have a CrossFit thing coming up that hopefully I can be part of up there, but they can positively impact the guys there. So as I said, it's like, if we're not making a positive difference in this world, what are we doing? Right. And sometimes that positive difference, maybe if you're lucky and you have this reach and you can touch people in different areas of the world, maybe you can make a difference to even people you'll never meet. Or maybe it's just your friends and family and like your actions, your discipline, your, the way you carry yourself, maybe elevates others. Right. And that's that's a win. That's what we should do. But those guys aren't in position to do that right now, but they can make a positive difference difference in their own environment in prison they can and so that was the message i gave them you know it's it, my story is a keep hammering story it's you just show up every day you can't control yesterday you can't you don't know what tomorrow holds but you can control today so what are we doing today to get better what are we doing today to make a positive difference on those we love or spend time with and so that was my message um that's what my book endure deals with that's what keep hammering the mantra I think represents, it's just showing up. You know, I tell the stories, talked about my boys. They loved hearing the stories about my boys and, and what they're up to, the pull-ups and the bench competition that Tanner wins every year. And, you know, and I was told him about Truett and his pull-ups. And I said, I'm not talking these kipping pull-ups. I know you guys talk CrossFit. I'm not talking kipping pull-ups. I'm not talking chin-ups. I'm talking pull-up pull-ups. And I said, he did 8,100 and they're like, you know, clapping and all fired up. And I talked about our bench press competition. Everybody loves, everybody knows what 225 feels like. A lot of those guys are lifters. So I said, Tanner busted out 20 reps this year and True did 18 and they were, they were all fired up. So they, they want, they want me and the boys to come and train with them. And my goal, if I had, if I had a goal, as I said, I, I want to impact others. If I could do anything, my goal would be able to take wild game meat up to the Oregon State Penitentiary, feed those guys some elk meat, because I said they talked about supplements and if they're going to get protein in there and different things. And I said, you know, there's no no better supplement than elk meat. And I would, I would give anything to be able to share elk meat with the, the inmates up there. And we can't do the lift, run, shoot, the whole full meal deal because we can't be shooting bows in prison. But I do want to go up there and run and train with them. So that's my goal. And I want to share my kills with them. I want, to, I want them to know what um, just a fellowship of sharing a, like an elk kill that I worked hard for and, and took care of and brought home and it's out of my freezer. I want, you know, hunters are providers and we provide to our community and those inmates are part of the community, you know, in, in a certain way. And so just like anybody else, I'd love to provide a good meal for them and, uh, and share some fellowship. So that's my goal. You know, a side goal would be, God, could you imagine if we get Jelly Roll up there to play music? They said they used to have music back in the day. There's, there's a guy I talked to that had been in there for 31 years, and he said, 
years ago, they used to have concerts at the penitentiary up there. And, you know, they haven't, I think there was an incident, something happened, but my dream would be for somebody like, it'd be great jelly roll just because everybody loves him because they have that kindred spirit with him about he's, he's been an inmate himself. So that would be my, my incredible dream to, uh, you know, and I, just to distract them from their situation for a little bit of time. I mean, Hey, everybody needs to share, serve their penance. Everybody, you know, you make, you make mistakes. You, you have to pay. That's how life works. But I hope last night was a distraction. I hope, uh, last night gave them something else to think about. And I, I want these other events to do that same thing. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have to pay for the mistakes they made. I'm just saying I would like to be able to give them a little snippet of time to think about something else. Maybe it's music, maybe it's lifting, maybe it's elk meat, maybe it's just good stories. Maybe it's just how can I positively impact the the man beside me who also made a mistake. So it's, uh, it was, I don't know. I'm like, I don't really know how to process it other than it was empowering. It was, um, it was a, it was an honor for me. Um, they seemed like great guys. Every person I talked to, you know, seemed like good people. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know their past. You know, I'm, I, I know that they're clean and sober now and looking into clear eyes was, uh, I've, I don't know. I enjoy talking to the guys. So, um, Yeah. I have a lot of sympathy, you know, I can't, I don't want it to sound like the, the victims aren't suffering. Um, but I have, I just have empathy for people who are, uh, both, both the victims and the perpetrators, I guess, in certain situations. I just, it just sucks. It sucks that, that, you know, there's evil in the world, but it doesn't last forever. So we need to be able to forgive and move on at some, some point people pay their, pay their, what they owe for their sins. And, um, man, I just had, I had a good time up there talking to those guys. And, uh, I don't know. I, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. So I wanted to mention it here. So I don't know. That's, that was my experience there. I want to thank Jelly Roll for his, uh, for his advice. And, uh, you know, as I told them up there, he was very selfish, self-admittedly. Now he's very generous, very, the biggest heart. Um, and also there was some, there was two guys who went with us who served an extensive amount of time in that penitentiary. And now they're out and they're both married and they're both doing great. So reform does happen and there are success stories. And those two of those guys went went with us yesterday or we in our group, uh, Wayne and I were the only ones who spoke, but there's other guys that used to be inmates and, and a lot of the inmates knew them. And, you know, it's, it's a success story. It's good for the inmates to see somebody who's, who's served their time, went out and now they're successful members of society and they're flourishing. So that's, you know, it gives people hope. I think that, I think that's the number one takeaway from it is let's give people hope. I think everybody deserves a second chance and I think everybody deserves to believe there's hope in this world. So 
that's my takeaway from it. Um, I want to thank AGAP families for the opportunity to get up there and hopefully make a positive impact on those inmates. And I want to thank Wayne for being such a, such a strong leader, not only in this community, but for everybody else who knows, know him as a herd bull on my lift run shoot series. Wayne is, uh, he's, he's an incredible leader. So herd bull, thank you. Uh, thank you for everybody who made that possible last night. It definitely enriched my life. Um, so the, the final part of this uh, solo podcast here is it's going to be story time. Roy and I loved story time, telling hunting stories, or I would write stories about his hunts, and that's what I did. I wrote this story about an incredible hunt he had. This was in full draw bow hunting. This was uh, the year was, what is the year here? Man, it should say somewhere. Hmm. Oh. Nineteen ninety-nine looks like. So it's been a little while ago. <laughs> Nineteen ninety-nine. Yeah, so this this story here, let's see, I I had it. But this is one of I think Roy's best adventures. He you know, he was always looking for a lot of times hunting Alaska is about logistics. And so this, this trip required, he drew an awesome caribou tag up there, which a lot of caribou tags in Alaska are over the counter. You just buy them. But there are some premium draw areas that just hold trophy bulls because it's, it's managed more for trophies for, uh, it's not managed for opportunities. So anybody who wants to hunt can go there. It's more managed for, for trophies. So they limit the number of opportunities, the number of tags it allows the bulls to get older and maybe larger. So Roy drew this good caribou tag, but to get to the country he wanted to hunt, it took some planning and logistics. So let's get into the stories. This is in, uh, this is a full draw adventure is what it says. The title of the article is bows and bears don't mix. So bows is kind of shortened slang for caribou. Uh, bows and bears don't mix, B-O-U. The subtitle is how quickly does it take for jubilation to change into sheer terror and how long it about how about as long as it takes a sow grizzly to charge from the Alaskan bush. God, <laughs> hopefully I can read the rest of the article better than that. But anyway, you get the gist. So here we go. What on earth could possibly rival the adrenaline rush of one experience the adrenaline rush one experiences when arrowing the new number two Pope and Young Barren Ground caribou. How about facing the prospects of stopping a charging grizzly mere feet from engulfing a loved one? Now, either one of these experiences would cause most of us to suffer an adrenaline overload. But couple these incredible happenings together on the same hunt, and one could probably measure adrenaline, lever, adrenaline levels on the Richter scale. God. Luckily, I can write better than I can read. So I did write this article, believe it. Ketone IQ is my podcasting superfood. I'm no Andrew Huberman, so talking for hours actually takes a lot out of my brain power, which I feel like Ketone IQ actually helps with. Ketone IQ is a clean energy boost without caffeine or sugar. It increases your blood ketone. I'm not on a keto diet, 
But by taking Ketone IQ, I can achieve the desired focus and energy for explosive workouts that ketones typically provide those in ketosis. You can find Ketone IQ at your local Sprouts or online at hvmn.com and use code CAM, C-A-M, for 20% off your first order. Leupold Optics has been providing my binoculars and eyewear for the last few years. I like that it's an Oregon company and they make such high quality glass. That's all I've really used. And if you can't find what you're hunting, it's going to be tough to kill. So Leupold Optics has really played an integral part in my success these last few years. Thank you, Leupold, for supporting the podcast or not. Yeah, so that's the gist of it. Roy goes up, kills the number two caribou. He, he hardly ever entered anything in the book. This was a giant caribou and he killed it with his recurve to top it off and then had this grizzly that charged. So we'll get into it. When my hunting partner, Roy Roth, left for his first caribou hunt since moving to Alaska four years ago, I had no doubt he would return with many memorable and noteworthy experiences. You see, Roy and I used to be inseparable. Hunting partners prior to his big move to Alaska. And if I don't know anything, I do know that when Roy goes afield, he gets results. Although I incessantly poke fun in, of the carp bow he uses for hunting. That's what I'd call the recurve because we used to go fish car or shoot carp with the recurve. And back when you could bait bears here in Oregon, we'd go and we'd shoot carp out here at Fern Ridge it's kind of low water. You'd get warm in the summer and those carp would come in there and spawn in the spring. And uh, we'd go and kill a bunch of carp and then we'd haul it out and use it as bear bait because those carp stink. And to get a bear bait going, you need, we'd say we need some stink. And stink just meant rotting fish. You put rotting fish in a gunny sack, maybe 20 foot up a tree where the bear couldn't get it. And then that scent is going to go up and down the valley for miles or the draw, whatever they're in. And a bear will come and then we'll have better bait, you know, cause the stink only gets you so far. They like the sweet stuff too, but we would rely on carp to get those bear baits going. Well, we used a recurve to do that. I w I've never hunted with a recurve. So I would make fun of Roy when he, he switched to a recurve because he's having target panic with his compound. Right. So the recurve kind of cured that target panic because recurve is, is not the anticipation of hitting the trigger and releasing an arrow. The recurve is like much like throwing a baseball. It's just instinct. You just kind of judge. You see what you want to get that ball to, like a, a mitt or wh whoever you're throwing it to, and you just throw it. It's just instinct. Well, that's recurve. So you just pull back and you just shoot with instinct. So it kind of, it'll correct target panic and and it's not really addressing target panic. It's just like bypassing it. Roy switched to recurve, had great success, and then came back to compound. But that's, that's another story. So get back to the article here. Although I incessantly poke fun of the cart bow he uses for hunting, a Blacktail Elite custom recurve, and he throws the occasional barb toward my string gun. That's what he'd call my compound. At this time, it was a PSE Carrera is what I was shooting. It was a good bow for back in the day. I respect no one else like I do Roy for his toughness, woodsmanship, and consistent archery success. Roy has been there from the beginning. In fact, as he was the one to get me started in the wonderful world of archery, I reciprocated by prodding him into the extraordinary world of photography. I always love taking photos. So anyway, Roy turned into a great photographer also. 
back to the article. I was there when he arrowed his first bull elk. He helped me trail my first bear. You get the picture. If anyone has ever had a hunting partner, Roy was mine and I was his. Sure, we have shared hunts since. There was a Sitka Blacktail hunt on Kodiak last fall, the Spring Bear Hunt in the Chugach Mountains of Alaska before that, but now it's more than the exception than the rule than when we share hunting cap. As a result, I now live Roy's hunts vicariously through his stories and photos. I believe this the story of Roy's caribou hunt is one for the ages, which has inspired me to put his narrative into written prose. It is as follows. On the inauguration of this hunt, Roy was accompanied by his father, Ray, and 16-year-old nephew, Chris, who would help pack in camp, stay a night or two, then leave Roy for the remainder of his two-week vigil before returning to help him pack out. Roy did a considerable amount of homework, researching an area that held a good number of Pope and Young bulls that, that received little or no hunting pressure. Again, this is, he would get further away. That was, that was our key to success on anywhere, even back here in Oregon. We just want to outwork everybody, get to country. Nobody else wanted to go to, or it was too much effort to get to. So we could have hunting, basically pristine hunting on our own. These animals hopefully hadn't seen many humans. And that was the goal because it's different when you're hunting animals that are hunted by every other, I would say Tom, Dick and Harry, I, I mentioned in, in my book, but when you're competing against everybody else and have to overcome the, the senses and the survival instincts of the animal, it's very tough. We would try to eliminate competition by going further. That's what Roy did here. Eventually, Roy did find a region on the Kenai Peninsula that fulfilled his predetermined mandates. And although this territory was renowned for producing trophy-class caribou, it would also require ridiculous, a ridiculous amount of effort to get gear and pack animals into this isolated area. Ah, uh, but this is what sets Roy apart from every other Tom, Dick, and Harry packing a bow. For Roy, no effort is too great. You know what? I never, I hadn't even read this article yet in years, but I remember I had, I'd always talk about when we were competing against other guys, I'd always mention Tom, Dick, and Harry, and voila, it's in this article as well, if you can imagine. So that was just, must have been, I think I wrote my book where I mentioned that in 1999, which is when I wrote this article. So we go through phases in our life where we have these references and we just use them all the time during that period and then we're on to the next. Well, at case in point right here. So I'll continue. The trip began with a four hour drive from his home in Palmer. Then there was three separate trips of gear and pack llamas and raised jet sled 25 miles across a large glacier fed lake that had all the qualities and appearance of the ocean itself. From there, it wasn't enough. The region Roy planned on hunting was eight miles inland. The pack trail that led across the tundra was very wooded with tall grass providing most of the ground cover. This trail paralleled a small stream that was so full of salmon, it appeared as though one could walk from bank to bank without getting their feet wet. Packed with salmon and their back stick up above the water in this place. So it as I said, it's like you could walk across on top of fish to get to the other side. As unique of a sight the salmon stream was, it was also a bit unnerving. Anyone who has spent time in Alaska knows that where there are salmon, there are bears. However, Roy, Ray, and Chris were reassured by Alaska Fish and Game biologists that this area had a, held a low number of resident grizzlies, and in all likelihood, the only bears they would potentially have to contend with were black bears. And heck, everyone knows that even if there are a few grizzlies around, they're more afraid of you than you are of them, right? That's rhetorical. 
After packing for approximately eight miles, the trio found an old moose hunting campsite, which they decided to use as their base camp. Caribou season had commenced a couple days prior, so Roy and Chris decided to go afield for a quick evening hunt to familiarize themselves with the area as Ray set up camp. Roy and Chris had scarcely begun their trek when they spotted a caribou sporting extraordinary headgear. The bull's position could not have been any more perfect for Roy to try and sneak into cart bow range, I mean bow range. This caribou was behaving in an atypical manner compared to the others of his lineage. By that, I mean he was by himself, whereas caribou are historically herd animals. This bull was slowly plodding along all by himself, nibbling on brows. Not to mention the train he was in consisted of small patches of alders and rolling hills, which was very conductive to a close quarters approach. While Chris served sentry from afar, Roy quickly closed to within about 30... Excuse me. Roy quickly closed to within about 60 yards, thanks in large part to an ideal to ideal conditions. From there, he switched to super slow-mo as he inched on his butt towards the unsuspecting monarch. By using the crest of a hill as a shield, he kept his eyes on the bobbing crown points of the bull as he nibbled on the bunch grass while uncharacteristically, still didn't sound right, but you, you know what I meant. Um slowly plodding forth time seemed to stand still as roy rose from his half crouch and while he cleared the uppermost tentacles of the brush grass his line of sight ever changing the bull's vitals became increasingly exposed until roy had the opportunity he needed reaching full draw roy's middle finger settled firmly into the corner of his mouth that's his anchor point right here as he visualized his money spot behind the bull's shoulder Roy's arrow cut through the 30 yards of air in a beautiful arc that only an archer could appreciate and instantly disappeared in the caribou slate gray hide. Just like that, history was made. Roy had taken his first caribou and the new number two Pope and Young Baron Ground Velvet category caribou. The bull also qualifies for Boone and Crockett record book. Not bad for a beginner, but as I keep telling him, Roy, how, how do you ever expect to take a world record animal if you keep shooting the first thing you see? That's tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> Number two of all time. Are you kidding me? So, incredible. So, the velvet category, it's, uh, yeah, I had I had the number one, not, this is a different species, but I had the number one on Qu Quebec Labrador caribou. The velvet category only lasts for a two-year scoring period, unless they've changed it. Um, this one was the number two of all time in the velvet category of barren ground. So not really sure how that works now, but at that time, it was a giant bull over 400 inches, which if people who know a caribou know, that's incredible. As Roy quickly approached a fallen caribou, he, he realized what an awesome trophy he had down. This was by far the biggest caribou who had ever laid eyes on. It was well after sundown by the time Roy and Chris completed the skinning and boning of the bull. Ray was waiting up, anxious to learn about the cause of their tardiness. Spirits were high as they filled Ray in on the hunt over dinner and made plans for their departure in an effort to salvage all the meat. Early the next morning, the trio took the llamas back to the harvest site to load up the bone-down meat that Roy had hung in nearby trees to cool. With the llamas loaded up, they headed back to base camp where they enjoyed caribou backstrap cooked over the campfire. The mood was one of merriment as camp was disassembled, llama packs were filled, and finally Roy, Ray, and Chris wrestled their heavy pack frames into their familiar place on each of their backs. And with one last look around camp, everyone fell in line and the eight-mile pack out began.
The pack out was going according to plan. The llamas performing admirably and so on. The trail was disturbingly full of bear sign and salmon carcasses were strewn all about, however. Granted, it was not unexpected and the group was prepared, but it was still unsettling. Both llamas and the hunters sported bear bells and the group made an all-out effort to, to be noisy on the pack out so as not to startle any bears. So they had a collar for the llamas with bells on it. And that generally will spook up, you know, animals can hear so much better than us. And a bell in the, on the tundra is not a normal sound. So generally that would always spook a bear well before you'd ever see it. All the llamas had bear bells. Ray was in the lead with about 70 pounds of meat and gear on his back with, with Ray's grandson, Chris, wearing a 45 caliber Colt revolver revolver and a holster on his hip behind him leading the llamas. Roy brought up the rear as he struggled with an awkwardness of packing those gigantic caribou antlers along the narrow brushy trail. Chris dutifully unsnapped his holster as the trio continued towards the trailhead, all the while ringing their bear bells and singing silly songs for additional noise. Roy would just be singing anyway. It wouldn't had nothing to do with bears. He just loved to sing. But it probably would help Spook Bear also, along with the bells and the and the not a great singer, but enthusiastic. So I'm sure that generally it would work to run Bear off. As they entered an area with very tall grass, the aroma of fresh fish filled the air. In a matter of seconds, a living nightmare unfolded before their eyes as a large sow stood up above the grass a mere 25 feet in front of Ray and unleashed a half-roar, half-bellow that shook the woods. The bear seemed to zero in on Ray, emitted another roar, and shook her head furiously, saliva flying all about her muzzle. The bear, with clear intent, charged full bore. Ray's first instinct was to run, but he simply was packing too much weight to react. As the sow charged, Ray realized his only option was to dive out of Chris's potential line of fire and assume a defensive position. With cat-like reflexes, Chris responded immediately to the charging bear. His first shot missed, but Chris coolly connected with the second shot, the bullet hitting the bear directly above the right eye and exiting behind the left shoulder. The grizzly died instantly and dropped a mere five feet from Ray and a short 10 feet from Chris. The whole episode lasted no more than a few seconds. In fact, because he was behind the llamas, Roy never even saw the grizzly. He heard a roar and then the two shots almost simultaneously. As Roy sprinted past the llamas towards the commotion, his mind raced. He figured that Chris and Ray had run into a black bear and being ever the cautious ones, fired a couple of warning shots to spook the animal. Needless to say, he was very surprised as he stared incredulously at the aftermath that lay before him. Ray splayed out in the tall grass to the side of the trail, virtually pinned by the weight of his pack. Chris stood slack-jawed with the 45, still spewing a thin line of white smoke from the end of the barrel, and an eight-foot grizzly sprawled out in the trail. Sitting in the wet grass, they all stared blankly and silently as if shell-shocked. If Chris's shot would have done anything but drop the bear in his tracks, Ray would have likely been mauled. And as anyone who knows anything about this will tell you, dropping the world's largest carnivore in his tracks is truly a rare feat. Grandpa, um, yeah, so I said, in quote, little Chrissy. Chris was only 16, and, you know, grandpas have nickname for their grandkids, so... 
being Chris was young, he was actually very tall at this time. I, I always remember Chris had big hands. He was just a great kid, hard worker, big, strong hands. Um, and at 16 years old, just as, I mean, can you imagine performing like that at 16? What it takes to, to make that shot in such an intense moment. And Chris did it, missing it the first time, dropping it. That, that hole right above its eye, saving his grandpa's life, essentially, uh, for the most part. Um, so much respect. So little Chrissy, as his grandpa calls him during lighter times, deserves a lot of credit for single-handedly averting a sure disaster. Obviously, the sow wasn't bluffing her charge, and in one cataclysmic moment, Chris, at 16 years of age, excelled in a situation where many grown men would have fled, failed, or folded like a cheap suit. Chris, ever the humble hero, tells me, matter of fact, that I did what I had to do. Being a man of strong Christian faith, Ray is convinced that the Lord directed Chris's shot, and he thanks and praised him for protecting him and his family. He is also thankful he has a grandson with a cool head and a brave heart. Incredible story. Um, one of many from, Ala from Roy's time in Alaska. I mean, so... So you spend enough time in the woods with grizzlies and brown bears and even black bears, you're going to have close encounters. And Roy had a number of them. You know, I've, I've talked before about when I killed my, uh, I guess it was my second brown bear. You know, we had a, a sow charge just like this and Roy had to kill her. Um, so it happens. But for a 16-year-old to be able to come up in, in the clutch like that and save his grandpa, um, incredible. So, you know, sadly, um, both Ray and Chris are both gone now. Um, you know, Chris, there was, uh, Roy had cabins that we used to go and stay at and black bear hunt. And going up, one of the cabins was 75 miles up the, the Big Sioux. And um, that river is wide. There's a lot of channels on it. Uh, sadly, one time um, it was, I had Tanner up there on a bear hunt and Chris was coming up after we had just left, he was coming up and a, a willow, there's like these little, these willow trees that kind of grow in the river because there's so many deep channels and shallow channels, different things, but you're kind of weaving in and in, in amongst the, the willows. Well, a willow tree had caught on the front of the boat and the momentum of the boat carried the willow brand, the willow tree forward. And then it snapped over the, the uh, bow of the boat and hit Chris in the neck and ended up killing him as going up to the bear cabin. So Chris, this was years after that, I think he was uh, 21 or 22 when that happened, but much too young to die, much too young to die. I mean, I'm thankful he was there for this experience when he was 16 because he saved his grandpa and Ray is still alive and that's Roy's dad and Roy's mom, Shirley. They're, you know, doing, doing great. Um, so without Chris there, who knows what would have happened to Ray. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. It's, um, you know, it's bittersweet because Chris was so young and, you know, relatively speaking, Roy was young when he fell and died too at 49. Um, but 
you can't explain life sometimes. You can't explain life and death, and that's, you know, it's not for us to understand fully, I guess, all the time. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to share that story. I wanted, uh, I'm going to share more Roy stories on here. And uh, just because I think, I think they deserve to be talked about. I think Chris, you know, he's been gone for a number of years now. He died before Roy did. And, uh, you know, on Roy's boats, on those jet sleds, they had the memorial for Chris, the dates, his, you know, when he was born and when he died. And um, so we're always trying to honor their legacy. Roy did that when he was still here, you know, after Chris had passed. And, and we're still going to do that with Roy and, and Chris, respectively. So um, tragic loss of both of them, my heart still aches for their family, their families. And uh, yeah, so that's uh, an incredible story of an amazing hunt that I wrote about with Roy and I'm gonna share more of them here, but that's today's, that's today's podcast. Um, hope you enjoyed it. I hope people can learn something from these experiences and these stories and thank you for tuning in. In the meantime, keep hammering. I'll catch you on the next one. Black Rifle Coffee is celebrating a decade of coffee in 2024. They're the only coffee I drink, and supporting them is supporting veterans and the outdoor community. One of the favorite packages that I get on a monthly basis is a Black Rifle Coffee Club exclusive coffee roast. The only way you can get it is if you subscribe to the coffee club. This month's coffee is a king of all roast, halls of lots of beanza. The exclusive coffee club subscription gives you nothing but the best. It's a coffee of the month club where you get premium roast from the best farms worldwide. Black Rifle Coffee is America's coffee. It's veteran owned and operated. They support hunting and conservation and give back immensely to the veteran community. They're offering followers of the podcast 20% off on your first purchase to the coffee club or order on their site using code KEEPHAMMERING to get America's coffee today. Hoyt Archery has been my bow hunting sponsor since 2005. And personally, I really don't care what bow you shoot, what brand it is. I just hope that you have the same level of confidence in your equipment as I have in mine. Because I know if I get one opportunity with my Hoyt, it's going to pay off.